Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. If you're a guest of ours, I've met several guests this morning, we're really honored that you're with us today. Um, LaMonica mentioned that, you know, she came looking for a family, and uh, I hope you see us as a family, Um, a family that's trying to know Jesus and show Jesus, and we're glad that we're worshiping together this morning. I want to begin with a story about two older gentlemen who were headed out to play a round of golf together. Both were pretty fit. Both looked like they'd led successful lives. As they're walking to the first tee, this young, beautiful girl walks up and kisses one of these older men on the cheek and says, I'm going to go lay out by the pool for a few hours. I'll see you after this round of golf. And she walked away. And the guy's friend said, who in the world was that beautiful woman? Was that, was that your granddaughter? The guy says, no, that's my new wife. Your new wife, how old is she? She's 27. How old are you? I'm 77. How in the world did you get a beautiful young thing like that to marry you? He said, simple, I lied about my age. <laughs> he said, what, did you tell her you were 57? No. I told her I was 97. (laughs) Listen, you got to hand it to old guys who still dream big dreams and have big plans, right? This morning, I'm going to introduce you to an old guy who still dreamed big dreams and had big plans. Uh, We have been in a series going through the book of Joshua. Um, there's another story behind this story, though. And I have referenced it several times during this series. It's actually found in the book of Numbers, chapters 13 and 14, which details the first time that God's people came to the edge of the promised land. But if you remember, at that point, they allowed fear to rule their decision, and they refused to cross the Jordan into the promised land. And at that time, uh, Moses was leading the people. God told Moses to choose 12 men, one man from each tribe, to send into the promised land to verify that the land was everything God said it was. And it was. Those spies came back saying that the land was good, the land was fruitful, it was indeed a land flowing with milk and honey, but 10 of those spies came back and said, however, we can't take that land. There are giants living in the land. There's really big people there. There are fortified cities in the land that we could never defeat. It will be very, very hard for us to ever occupy the land that God wants us to occupy. And they spread fear throughout the camp. But there were two spies who said, wait a minute. No. We absolutely can go into that land. We absolutely can take that land because God promised that land to us. God is going to be with us. We absolutely need to go in and take over that land. Now, you know, one of those spies was Joshua. We haven't yet talked about the other spy. His name was Caleb. Look what the Bible says about Caleb back in Numbers chapter 14. Uh, God is speaking here. God is angry. God feels like the people have held him in contempt because of their fear. And God says this, Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. 
But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Interesting. God says, guy, this guy Caleb, he has a different spirit. God recognized there's something different about Caleb. How would you like heaven to recognize that there's something different about your spirit? How would you like God to say there's something different about, about this person's spirit? Which, of course, raises the question, what was it? What was different about Caleb? But what gave Caleb a different spirit? And actually, the text is going to tell us what gave Caleb a different spirit. There is a word that's going to be used over and over and over again as Scripture defines Caleb. It's already mentioned once in the passage that's on the screen there. Um, see if you can tell what this word is. Let's, let's look at a couple more passages. Numbers chapter 32. Because they have not followed me wholeheartedly, not one of the men 20 years old or more who came up out of Egypt will see the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No one except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kinzanite, and Joshua, son of Nun, for they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Then one more time in the book of Deuteronomy. Not a man of this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give your forefathers, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh. He will see it. And I will give him and his descendants the land he set his feet on because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Anybody pick up on the word that's used to describe Caleb? Wholeheartedly. Absolutely. Interesting. That word, wholehearted, wholeheartedly, it does not show up very many times in Scripture. Look at concordance. There's just not very many times that the word wholeheartedly shows up. But the vast majority of times that it does, it is describing Caleb. What made Caleb different? He followed God wholeheartedly, which apparently was very unique back then. And it is still very unique today because we are, today are really good at kind of compartmentalizing our lives, aren't we? We, we have our God compartment, our faith compartment, it's here. Then we have our job compartment. Then we have our family compartment. Then we have our hobbies and our, you know, our, our, our spare time compartment. And we try not to let those overlap too much, which means that most of the time God gets some of our lives some of our hearts, not our whole life, not our whole heart. But Caleb didn't compartmentalize his life. Caleb loved God with his whole heart. He didn't give part-time attention. He didn't give part-time commitment. He didn't give part-time obedience. He loved God with his whole heart with his whole soul, with his whole mind, with his whole strength, and he loved God his whole life. Caleb understood, you never retire from the mission of God. Not if you're going to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. So let's jump back into the book of Joshua and take a look at uh, what this exactly looks like a little bit deeper. Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kinzanite, said to him, this is Caleb, now speaking to Joshua, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report 
according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now here's the first thing that you need to know about people who follow God wholeheartedly. They set their sights on giant possibilities. Now we all can remember times in our lives when we have been discouraged or we have been disappointed because of someone else's half-heartedness, right? Maybe you were in a marriage where the other person was just kind of half-hearted about the whole thing. Maybe you had a coach or a teacher whose heart was not in it and you didn't learn anything. Maybe, um, you know, you had a business partner who was just sort of half-hearted about his career and it cost you. Think about Caleb. Caleb spends 40 years of his life wandering in the wilderness because of other people's half-heartedness. He spends 40 years of his life walking in circles. He spends 40 years of his life going to funerals. But Caleb never lost sight of the promised land. He'd been to the promised land. He'd seen the land that God had promised. He experienced that. And so while his body was in the wilderness, Caleb's spirit was in the promised land. Never let what was going on around him beat him down. Never settled for what is. Instead, he wholeheartedly focused on what could be. And that's what wholehearted followers of God do. They don't see giant obstacles. They see giant possibilities. Let's keep reading it in Joshua chapter 14. Now then, just as the Lord has promised, is Caleb talking, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said to Moses, while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now, I don't know if that was true or not. <laughs> that sounds like a guy talking, right? I don't know if Caleb was just as strong at 85 as he was at 40 or not. I know sometimes I think, I can do what I used to do at 25 until I try to do what I did at 25. You know, I'm not. So I don't know if Caleb is using a little bit of, um, you know, uh, hyperbole here or not. I do know, and I'll agree with John Barrymore when he said, a man grows old when his regrets surpass his dreams. And I know that Caleb was still dreaming really big dreams at 85 years old. Because he says in verse 12, Now, give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You, yourself, you, you yourself heard that the Anakites were there, which were the giants that everybody was so afraid of. And their cities were large and fortified, which were those big cities that everybody was so intimidated by. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. Here's the second thing that we learn from Caleb. Wholehearted faith in God trumps giant fears. So here's the deal. Those ten spies, they weren't lying with their report. They were telling the truth. The land had giants in it. There were really big people there. And the land had fortified cities in it. There were really tall walls there. It was going to be very difficult to occupy that land. Those ten spies told the truth. 
Their report wasn't evil, is what God called it. It wasn't evil because it was untrue. The report was evil because it was unbelieving. Caleb didn't lie either. Caleb said, there's giants in that land. And there are fortified cities in that land, and it will be hard. But Caleb doesn't minimize the difficulty. He maximizes God's involvement. He knew God has made us a promise. And God's promises trump giant fears. Caleb says, with the Lord's help, I will drive these people out. You overcome fear when you are wholeheartedly convinced that God is absolutely faithful. I mean, you think about what you're afraid of right now. You think about what's keeping you up at night. What you're worried about. Might be a, you know, a family thing, a relationship. I don't know what it is. Whatever is kind of keeping you up at night. Don't you believe in your heart that if you wholeheartedly believed God's promises, those fears would go away? If I truly believed that God was faithful, that God was going to keep every promise that He's made to me, what do we have to be afraid of? And because of Caleb's wholehearted obedience, Caleb received the whole inheritance. Look at verse 13. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenzanite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Now this last sentence sounds like kind of a parenthetical afterthought, but it's not. It's important. Hebron used to be called Kirith Arba, after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. So here's the thing you need to know also about people who are wholeheartedly following God. They get really excited about giant challenges. Caleb said, give me that mountain. Which mountain? That mountain with the biggest, baddest giants on it. I want the mountain where Arba is from. I, I want the mountain that has all the giants living on it. I want the mountain with all the fortified cities on it. And I don't know if you picked it up or not in verse 13. But uh, it says that Joshua blessed him with that mountain. Joshua blessed Caleb with that mountain where all the giants were. What did Joshua bless him with? He blessed him with some really hard battles, right? He, he blessed him with a giant challenge, literally <laughs> a giant challenge. He gave Caleb exactly what he asked for. The piece of land with more giants on it than anywhere else in the entire promised land. And notice, Caleb does not say, drive them out and give me the land. Caleb says, give me the land and I'll drive them out. And that is exactly what Caleb does. Next chapter, Joshua chapter 15. In accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua gave to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, a portion of Kudath... Judah, uh, Kirith Arba, which is what the Ananites called it. That is Hebron, which is what the name's been changed to. Arba was the forefather of Anak. From Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites, Shishai, Ahian, and Talmai, descendants of Anak. You think that word didn't spread around the land? You think that wasn't in the front page of the, the, uh, the news the next day? Foreigner drives out giants, town to be renamed. Caleb says, give me that mountain. With the Lord's help, 
I'll drive those giants out. And I'll go back to the part of the story that I, that I referenced that, that really doesn't make much sense to us today. But the text says that Joshua blessed Caleb with the toughest battles. That was the blessing that, that Caleb received. He was blessed with that hard mountain. Now usually when we think of being blessed by God, we think of life being easy, right? Well, if I'm blessed by God, I shouldn't have any struggles. And if I'm blessed by God, I shouldn't have any difficulties. I shouldn't experience any heartache. I shouldn't experience any loss, not if I'm being blessed by God. But being blessed by God does not mean life without battles. It means the opportunity to fight for the things that really matter. And being a wholehearted follower of God really matters. Being a fearless follower of God really matters. Paying attention to the lost really matters. Allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us really matters. Being able to live and love and serve and sacrifice like Jesus really matters. As people of God, we need to claim, maybe reclaim, those things that really matter. Listen, personally, I have been blessed with a lot of Caleb's in my life. A lot of uh, men and women, most of them right here in this congregation, who long ago retired from their chosen professions, but never have retired from their life mission. A lot of Caleb's, men and women, gone on before us. A lot of Caleb's still here with us, fighting that fight, running that race, keeping the faith. I I think of older people that uh, have meant so much to me in my life. You can too. I bet some of those names will be on both of our lists. But I think of those Caleb's who would rather end their race climbing a mountain than standing on the sidelines staring at one. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul was talking about at the end of his life. He's in prison. And he's writing a letter to some Christians. And Paul was a guy who knew a lot about giant obstacles. He knew a lot about giant possibilities as well. And Paul knew that sometimes the toughest battles are where you receive the the greatest blessings. And he writes to the the Philippians this in Philippians chapter 3. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake... I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish. That I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And then verse 10, statement that's, that's famous because it shows the whole heart of a fearless follower of God. Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. I want to encourage you this morning. If you see a Caleb or two walking around here this morning, would you thank them? Would you give them a hug, a handshake? Would you let them know that we appreciate their faithfulness and their example? If you can think of a Caleb that's not here with us today, send them a card. 
shoot them a text. Let them know that we appreciate being in a family with so many Caleb's. Listen, I've done a lot of funerals. And I'll tell you, when, when you do a eulogy, nobody really pays much attention to how you started. What people remember is how you finish. And I want to be like Caleb. I don't want to finish staring at a mountain. I want to finish my life climbing a mountain. And I'll tell you my, I guess, sort of my opinion on life. A lot of people think that life is sort of like the game of Monopoly. You know, the goal of Monopoly is to, to gather a bunch of stuff and you collect property and then you get some houses and you get some hotels and you get as much money as you can. And at the end of the game, whoever has the most wins the game. They win the game of life. I don't think life is like the game of Monopoly. I think life is like Uno, or Domino's, or Gin Rummy. The goal is to get rid of your cards. The goal is to get rid of your Domino's. I don't want to stand before God someday and say, everything that's important to me is back there on earth. It's going to be burned up anyway. I want to be able to stand before God and say, I got no cards left. I got no dominoes left in my pocket. My treasure is in heaven. My focus is heaven. My energy is heaven. Everything else, it's stuff. It's rubbish. It's garbage. I want to be able to say, like Paul, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to be able to say like Caleb, I might be 85 years old, but I'd rather die on that mountain with God at my side than stand on the sidelines and wonder what might be. This mountain, and I'll take it. I don't want to finish climbing. I want to finish climbing a mountain. I'm not staring at a mountain. So, my question is, what's the mountain right now in your life? What mountain are you staring at? Whether you're 85 or 18. What mountain have you been staring at? And maybe you've been staring at it for a long time. And maybe it's a mountain that just has scared you to death. Maybe all you can see are giant obstacles. Giant problems. And you can think of a lot of reasons why you shouldn't, why you shouldn't uh, uh, deal with that mountain. But I will encourage you, be like Caleb. Be fearless. Be wholehearted in your following and your obedience to God. Be wholehearted in your faith. Be excited about those challenges. Don't let fear determine the, the fact, be the determining factor of your faith. I want to know Christ. Give me this mountain. Be fearless. We're going to stand and sing a song. Um, if it's church family, we can help you in any way. We'll invite you to come and let us know. Let's go ahead and be standing.